Last night I was at a at a bar having a beer, and a 90-year-old woman just started talking to me about her mixed feelings about everything from masks to vaccines to airplane travel, and she's giving me her philosophies on everything and contradicting herself the whole way. And I'm just I'm doing two things. I'm taking snapshots of her face with my eyelids because she was very eccentric and had a, a, a wonderfully textured expression. And then I'm processing the manner of her speak and, and the style of her contradiction and her accent. And then I go wake up this morning and that affects me when I in my writing morning this morning today. That's David Gordon Green, writer director of movies like 2018's Halloween and the brand new Halloween Kills. He's a storyteller who likes to absorb inspiration from everywhere, including, yes, bars frequented by slightly problematic pensioners. Her name was Beatrice, by the way. It's an important part of his process. A movie like Halloween, about an unkillable monster who stalks suburbia, might have elements of the supernatural that on paper push the boundaries of believability. As a result, when it comes to characters, David is always itemizing the quirks and characteristics of people he encounters in everyday life. He does this in search of authenticity that will ground his otherwise otherworldly stories. I think taking public transportation is an incredible asset for writers, you know, especially I love taking the bus, I love taking a train. Nobody ever talks on airplanes and so I've kind of surrendered to that as just a part of getting from A to B. But I do love listening and eavesdropping sometimes and other times contributing and, and just the, the way that people's voices are around the world in any scenario is pretty outstanding if you think about it. I'm Al Horner, and coming up on How I Write, a podcast about the highs, lows, and workflows of screenwriting. David Gordon Green reveals why his creative routine involves ice baths and bike rides, why everything he writes is informed by John Carpenter's advice to keep it simple, keep it relentless, and how a movie like Halloween Kills is written, from outline to the finish line. I've had a lot of shitty jobs in the world, from a doorknob factory to medical supply assembly line to a janitor at a mental institution. I've had rough, weird crazy jobs, I, but I appreciate all of them. But the one I appreciate most is when someone says, we want you to make this movie because I have a toolbox ready to go. That's all to come today on How I Write, presented by Arc Studio Pro, the screenwriting software that lets writers stay focused on the stories they're trying to tell on the page. Get your free trial today to check out its intuitive design, seamless real-time collaboration features, excellent outlining functions, and easy to use import and export capabilities. More on those guys later, but now, with no further ado. I'm David Gordon Green, and this is how I write. What I like to do is I wake up and I take a 20-minute bike ride, I take a seven-minute ice bath, and then I write for three hours, and then I'm done. Before 10 in the morning, I'm, I'm done with my day. My done with the responsibility of my, my job as a writer is done. And then I have other responsibilities, but that's, that's my writing ritual. The fact that David gets his writing done before 10am may surprise some people. This is a man, after all, whose last couple of years have been spent writing a trilogy of Halloween movies to be followed by a much-anticipated trilogy of Exorcist sequels. You would have thought such nightmarish, violent visions demand to be written in the black of night when the world outside is eerie and quiet, right? Well, the truth is, David doesn't seem to regard his recent films strictly as horror movies. Ask him about the types of tales he loves to write and he'll explain that he's drawn to stories that dissolve boundaries, in which audiences are invited under the skin, or in Michael Myers case, under the mask, of people you might not naturally be inclined to root for. I am drawn to 
stories that blur the line and that may be a blurry line between comedy and drama or maybe a blurry line between good and evil but i like i like things that are imperfect and have different perspectives uh, upon which to challenge an audience challenge a reader i go for the underdog i want to go see what makes the villain villainous and what's the sadness behind the bad guy because the, the the truth is it's it is everyone and everything is way more complex than just a, a face value so i'm always just trying to dig a little deeper and put a plot twist in there david's writing process typically begins with a pen a piece of paper and a period of freeform idea generation in which he scribbles listens to music and lets ideas flow unrestricted onto the page from there he'll start to play around building out premises, plot ideas, characters, in a 10-page snowstorm of early ideas. Anything I ever draw, I start with just a little circle, a little black circle. I draw a pen and ink, um, a pencil, whatever, charcoal, black and white images. And so I'll just start with a little circle every, and then see what spirals out of that circle. So there's, but there's always a dot where you, you put your instrument in and then just start going from there. And I, I typically have an idea for a feeling Sometimes it's a piece of music and I'll put on Neil Young's Cortez the Killer and then put my and then turn the song off, put my dot down and start writing, you know? It it keeps the blank page from being intimidating. Just immediately jam a dot down there, throw a word down there. And then once that word's there, then it's then it's a piece of art. You can start scribbling and 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 I play jazz for a little while and I improvise a lot with words and characters and then I step back when I've got 10 pages and I think where should this go? Maybe what I've just written should be act 2 instead of act 1. That last point is an important one. David has a strategy, he explains, designed to give his audiences the feeling of being thrown into the deep end of a story already in motion. Often, once he has an idea for a story, he'll write out what would happen in the first 30 pages of its screenplay. Then, he'll discard them completely, effectively starting his screenplay in Act 2. The result is something leaner, more economical. Without all the slow-moving setup and exposition, that sometimes drags first acts down. Very often I'll write a whole first act and then think, now the movie starts. And so I'll throw away the first act, but that gave me the subtext and the setup. And so now the movie is act two and three. I made a movie 20 years ago called All the Real Girls. And we filmed the first act and then I just cut it out. But that became a big lesson as I'd written all this character exposition and setup and these things that i thought were necessary foundations for the story that i wanted to tell but then when i'm watching the first cut of the movie not only is it long but it's it's not essential until 23 minutes in and then that's what the movie started being unique so we just edited the first act out and then i've been doing that as a writer probably ever since but hold up a second when an idea comes to david how does he know it's one worth pursuing one worth committing the hours and hours of work and emotion that a full screenplay demands this is where it gets interesting for the 46-year-old, the right stories don't give you the option of saying no to. They kind of grab you by the throat, then throw you in a chair in front of a laptop and scream at you to get typing from somewhere within. Sometimes there's a story that you just have to write and that's a passionate thing. For me, I know that if I'm going to sit down and write something I'm passionate about that is from within me and it's a story that needs to get out, I know that that will more than likely never get made. In a world that's very difficult to finance anything, and if you can finance it it's hard to make it and if you can make it it's hard to distribute it and if you can distribute it nobody goes so i do have a little bit of a pessimism about what the unique threads of stories that are inside me when they come out they come out very weird 
and maybe someday I'll evolve to the culture or the culture will evolve to the stories I'd like to tell. But right now I have a lot of scripts that don't get made and, th and there's a logical reason as to why. So there's that side of my career. And then there's the other side when Jason Blum and Malika Cod come to me and say, let's make a Halloween movie. Then there's a certainty that that will happen, at least in, if I don't fuck it up. As David alludes to, there are kind of two sides to him as a storyteller, as there are for a lot of filmmakers in Hollywood these days. There's the David Gordon Green who makes intimate dramas, like 2013's Prince Avalanche or 2007's Snow Angels. Then there's the David Gordon Green who'll go in and re-energize an existing blockbuster franchise, like Halloween or Hellraiser, which he's currently involved in a TV reboot of. Working on these types of projects is surprisingly freeing and allows David to explore in ways that he might not get to on a quote-unquote personal project. That title, Halloween, means that you can be as creative as you want because the title is just taking care of your movie star, of your concept, of your responsibility financially. To a degree, you know, say they'll say, hey, there's, don't just don't make a, make, make a $10 million movie called Halloween and then we'll leave you alone. And so then I have the reality of, I have this beautiful blank canvas that I can be as creative and spastic and weird, eccentric. I can bring my heart and passion and appreciation of the John Carpenter film. I can, I can dance forever within this confines because I know it's going to happen. And there's something really nice about, for me as a, as a tradesman, I have the best job in the world. Next up in David's process, he hits up his trusted collaborators. You'll know at least one of them, the actor and writer Danny McBride, with whom David has worked with since meeting in college. After working together for so long, they have a sort of telepathy on the page that really shines through in films like Halloween. To David, collaboration is key. It elevates the quality of what he's working on and accelerates its creation. Almost everything I do now, I have a co-writer or two. On Halloween ends, I have three. So we inspire each other, we challenge each other, we bring ideas to the table, we delete pages and reinvent character. And to me, having that collaboration gives me great energy. When I do wake up at 4.30 in the morning and some of my co-writers are night writers, I wake up, they've just gone to sleep an hour ago and they're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast and I'm going to rewrite what they wrote, send them my revisions, they're going to rewrite what I wrote send me their revisions, and, and I love that collaborative spirit. Keeps me from getting moody. Next in David's process, it's outline time. If I'm outlining by myself, it looks stupid because it's just like little slug lines for maybe two pages. It's nothing. But if I'm writing with co-writers, which I'm doing a lot of these days, then we have a 20-page document that is pretty thorough so that I can say, hey, Danny, you take these scenes, I'll take these scenes, and then we'll swap. Um, I, I have a, a co-writer I'm working on, uh, Halloween Ends, with named Paul Logan, and and he's he he was my neighbor in Austin, Texas, and we just started writing together, and and it's just a fantastic collaboration because he'll he'll do a first pass of an outline, and then we'll have a big fight about what he's trying to do, and then I'll get in there and I'll get I'll get so mad when I read it, and then I'll just I'll just get, be so mad I have to immediately push everything aside and start rewriting it, and and then. Say, and then I'll point to it and say, see, see, see. And he'll be like, no, 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 no. And, and then the beauty of that conflict is where we talk through it. We hear what I've, what I've misunderstood through the reading. Now I hear it out of his mouth. I know what he means. And I think I can translate that to my ability. He understands a little bit more of what I'm trying to go tonally. If it's that back and forth spitball and playing devil's advocate 
And do we really need that scene? Because it's now we're at 94 pages and I want it to be 93. I get really upset about long screenplays if you haven't picked that up already. Um, I don't know what that says about my attention span, but I got to get to work and make more movies. Still to come, why David insists that rewriting is part and parcel of finding the truth behind your story and characters, the trick that refreshes him every time he hits a brick wall with a scene or story beats, and the piece of paper in his office that reminds him what this is all for, why he writes screenplays. But first, a word about Arc Studio Pro. Screenwriting to me is all about immersion. I want to stay immersed in that dreamy, fantasy-like state while I weave my story and craft my characters. I don't want to be distracted by anything and I certainly don't want to be thinking about text formatting. Arc Studio Pro understands that. It's so intuitive, it has a minimal and dare I say beautiful interface that allows me to stay completely focused on the story I'm trying to tell. If you like to work with a writing partner like David does, well, good news. Arc Studio Pro has seamless real-time collaboration, kind of similar to Google Docs, which allows you and whoever you're working with to stay literally and figuratively on the same page. Importing and exporting other formats like PDF and final draft files is easy. And best of all, it has an always free plan, meaning you can sign up today and start writing. To take your screenwriting to the next level, visit arcstudiopro.com. Click the link in today's show notes to find out more. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. The older I get, the more experienced I get. I feel like if I'm having fun as a writer, that the audience will have fun too. As dumb as it sounds, I think having fun is a really good idea. If, if it's torture, feels like homework and deadlines are frustrating, then I think the creative process is, is compromised. This is the philosophy that guides David when it's time to start jumping into scenes. It's a simple but effective approach that makes a lot of sense when you start to think about it. If you're not having a blast writing your story, how much fun is it going to be for your audience watching the thing? Elsewhere, when it comes to writing scenes, David these days falls back on a piece of advice once given to him by John Carpenter, the horror master who created the original Halloween. Keep it simple, keep it relentless. It means to find the forward momentum in every scene and cut anything slowing you down. If you're a screenwriter that's struggling to make a living and trying to sell a story and convince people to invest in you, then take John Carpenter's advice. Keep it simple and keep it relentless. If you are out there on the hustle and you're trying to get your idea across and you've got this amazing concept or you have this experience or this, this thing that's close to your heart and you want to get the movie made, keep it simple, keep it relentless. I, I don't ever make a movie that's more than 95 pages. If I see a 100-page screenplay, I'm going to fall asleep and ask someone to read it first and tell me what it's about. As a writer, you want to let, let it all out and then tighten and tighten and tighten it. Nobody's going to be mad when they read a 93-page script, no matter how much it sucks. What they will be mad is if they waste their time and it's 133 pages because you needed to, to fulfill something uh, specific. There's very few filmmakers, I think, that can make the, the, the two-and-a-half-hour movie and keep my attention. And, they, and there are. I mean, there's the Paul Thomas Andersons and the Tarantinos and certainly the Robert Altmans from the day that deserve that length of time, and, and I enjoy those experiences. But for the most part... Man, if I see a Marvel movie is two hours and 20 minutes, I know I'm going to be fast forwarding at least 20, 30 minutes within the middle of it. When David gets to page 95, you guessed it, he goes right back to page one. Rewriting and rewriting and rewriting some more is part of the process for the filmmaker, whose 2018 Halloween movie, it was reported, required 80 different drafts. That's not actually true, though, says David. It was, in fact, way more than that. Hundreds of drafts. We, I have a new draft every day. I have a new draft of Halloween ends that I gave to Danny last night. He's going to give me a new one on Monday. 
that was a thing. It was funny to hear people say, wow, it took them 80 drafts to get it right. No, it took us a thousand drafts to get it right. We just are drafting until the movie's edited. I'm rewriting every day on set. When I go home or I wake up after my subconscious has done its homework based on the previous day, I'll rewrite a scene before I go to set and hand it to the AD and say, these are the pages for today. Like all of us, it's not always plain sailing for David in writing and rewriting. Sometimes he'll bump up against something that's just not working, a scene that isn't clicking, or dialogue that isn't popping. In these moments, David does one of two things, call on his collaborators for help, or do more research. Sometimes, if something isn't sitting right, it's because he doesn't yet have the real-life materials needed to unlock that particular scene. Another reason I advocate for writing partners, because typically, I hit a brick wall when I have to write what a police officer would say, or someone, or a, or a doctor, or some sort of technical bullshit that I have to deal with in a, in a story. <laughs> and so I just stop writing it because I don't know how to word it. And, and so I love to be able to call my writing partner and say, listen, Dr. So-and-so is talking to Officer So-and-so, and I don't fucking have a clue where what they're going to say to each other. The scene is about X. Will you just do this? <laughs> so technical writing and research is a, is, a very, is a big struggle for me. And I'm writing now, right now, I'm doing a... a an exorcist trilogy that is very academic. You'll read a whole book or have a two hour interview with someone so that you can word two sentences correctly. And it's very time consuming and it's not always fun. Sometimes when the writer's block hits especially hard, David needs to step out of that project and into something else. Throwing himself into another project altogether hits some kind of creative reset button in him and allows him to come back to the original project refreshed with a new perspective on what wasn't working. I'm really motivated by, by the excitement. There's another script I've been working on for five years. When I hit a brick wall on an Exorcist movie, I go to On the Promenade, which is this absurdist movie that I'm also writing with that writer I mentioned earlier, Paul Logan. And I go there and it's just my happy place where I can just go and screw around with this character and, and think about the absurdity because that's a, it's a script that has no that defies gravity and its logic and structure. And so I like to go there and who knows, maybe that ends up just being my sketch pad so that then I can find my inspiration and get back to work in my, in my trade. But I like to believe that someday that sketch pad, someone looks at the trade work I've done and says, now let's bring that sketch pad to life. Eventually it's time for production and a whole other part of David's creative process kicks in, the directorial side, which is a story for another podcast. The emotion when a story he's written or co-written finally sees the light of day is always an intense one, but especially when it's a movie as long delayed as Halloween Kills, which was pushed back again and again by the pandemic. The movie's set to debut a few days after we talk. David predicts that on that day, he'll be reminded anew why he does what he does, and why he especially loves the storytelling side of movie making. I love to write because directing is a pain in the ass. Every day is an obstacle and a frustration and a disappointment and a confusion and a reinvention and a compromise. Since I was a kid growing up in Dallas, writing was a place that I could go and be in control and it didn't cost money. I wasn't good at sports and I was a half-assed musician, so it was a creative place I could go. I could be in private and I could write something and then delete it, or I could write something and then share it with my friends. or. Sometimes I would write something strange and then put an absurdist flyer on the cafeteria wall at school and just have people be perplexed as to what, who, who, who wrote this absurdity, this nonsense. 
that, that's actually a great example of, of a moment when I saw the power of words because I, I, I made a list of words that rhyme, but they didn't really rhyme. And it was just called, I still have it in my office. It, it made it in like 1993. It says like words that are cool because they rhyme and no name. And, and you would watch the confusion of students turn to each other and be like, who the fuck is this idiot? These words don't rhyme. And, and, and what that created in the school cafeteria showed me the power of a written word. And these were just, this is nothing vulgar or nothing. It was just absurdity. And I loved what, what I could do that didn't cost any more money than a, a nickel for a Xerox and some, some weird ideas that made people's heads spin a little bit. Um, and, and so that's what gets me going is, is writing something that I either need to communicate with myself or communicate with the high school cafeteria. David Gordon Green there is the acclaimed director and co-writer behind Halloween and Halloween Kills. His other writing credits include Prince Avalanche, Snow Angels, and the new Exorcist trilogy mentioned in this episode. You've been listening to How I Write, hosted by me, Al Horner, with production by Camille Demek. Music comes from Oliver Knowles, our theme song is by Nefetz. How I Write is brought to you by Arc Studio Pro. Get your free trial today by visiting arcstudiopro.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.